Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm your host, Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast, but also my partner in life, Rachel Campos Duffy. Thank you, Sean. It's so great to be here on yet another episode or podcast of From the Kitchen Table. And today we have a great guest. You know, I'm obsessed with the Daily Mail, Sean. You are. It's, it's, <laughs> sadly, that's true. It's the first thing I go to. I'll get the other stuff later. And it was so great to see a fellow colleague um, have an incredibly awesome article in the Daily Mail. And I'm talking, of course, um, about Steve Hilton. He is the host um, of our network's show, The Next Revolution. Um, by the way, one of my favorite shows, you know, I record a few shows. He's on my list of shows yes. I record um, that you and I rewatch and make sure we hit. And um, he's also the host of his own podcast called Rebel Base. He's also an expert in politics and tech. So perfect guy for this t- for this topic, which is, uh, as you know, it's um, Scary Poppins and the new disinformation board being formed at um, Homeland Security. So with no further ado, I'm welcoming our friend and co and fellow co-worker at Fox News, Steve Hilton. I'm very honored that you're, I'm on your sort of taping list. But by the way, are you literally at the kitchen table now? I just want to kind of imagine you guys, even if you're not, I want to think, I think of you in that way. We literally are at our kitchen table with our podcast <laughs> stuff. So it's great. Pretty soon we're going to go, we're going to go video. So you'll actually be able to see it. But yes, we're at our kitchen table um, together here. So thanks for joining us, Steve. Really appreciate it. So let's just get right into this because mm. what I really found fascinating about your article is that you're not, you're not just talking about this communist type board in theory. You kind of have an experience of it because some of your family lived in communist Hungary. And you had this great little story that you talked about of when you visited Hungary as a child. Why don't you tell our viewers what happened? Yeah, mo- but both my parents are Hungarian, my stepfather as well, actually. The entire family is from in the UK. But we would go back to visit um, at least, you know, once a year, often twice a year. We'd spend months there in the summer. I, I kind of half grew up there, you know, hanging out with my cousins and, and so on. We were from a small town in the south of Hungary called Seged. And um, it was pretty idyllic, you know, as kids, you don't really notice the politics and the ideology just having fun with your cousins but it was the communist era and i do remember really clear it's it's amazing how these memories just stay with you I, i must have been about seven eight years old something like that and the guy who was then the leader of hungary the communist 
ruler was a guy called Janos Kadar. He'd been there for a long time. He was, he was just the, the, the kind of, whatever they call it, the head of the communist, the central committee. Anyway, he was the kind of president, well, I don't know what his literal title was, but he was the guy who ran Hungary, the communist leader. I just remember for some, some reason, I don't even know why I was doing this, as I said in the article, maybe, you know, again, this is an indication of where I would end up with my career. I was just walking <laughs> around the town with my two cousins, where, as I say, we're all pretty young, and I started just, not yelling, but, you know, saying out loud, uh, Kadar is an idiot. In Hungarian, that's a huye. Huye is the word. It means basically he's an idiot. I just thought it was funny for some reason. Just, you know, I myself was a bit of an idiot for doing it. I don't really know what the reason was. <laughs> I had no idea about this guy, whether, what he's, you know, whether he was good or bad. I mean, he's just the, the guy who I'd heard of. I heard his name and thought nothing of it. But then later that evening, back at, my, um, uh, the, at the family house, my cousin's house, I remember my aunt who uh, back then was a school teacher. She actually was the uh, deputy head teacher of, like, the main uh, high school in the town. She came up to me and took me to one side in the house, you know, and she was pretty kind of kind about it, but also very firm and clear. She was a teacher, after all. And she just explained to me, you know, maybe in England you can say stuff like that out on the street, you know, criticizing politicians, but you can't do that here. And actually, if you do that here. We could get in trouble. Your cousins could get in trouble. I could lose my job. Went on like this. It was really chilling. And I didn't do it again. But I've really remembered that. You know, I was very young, but I remembered it. And I thought, God, that's amazing that you can get in trouble for criticizing the government or criticizing the... And then here we are now. I've now... Now I'm an American, an American citizen as of last year. And you think of America as the absolute opposite of all of that the literal direct opposite of that, where you can say anything, because it's protected, it's in the Constitution. And here we are in a situation where we now have the government starting to apply these kinds of rules. I'm not saying it's exactly the same and you're going to be sent to the gulag or whatever, Biden. But there's no question it's that same mentality, which is to say, this is the official position, this is the um, line, this, if, you, if you step out of line... Uh, we're going to stop you from saying it. We're going to restrict you. And there could be repercussions. And you've seen that just in terms, for example, of the vaccine. It's not just about political speech. It's anything that they or criticizing the government directly. It's any of these things. Look at how people have been victimized just for taking a different position, totally justified by the science, by the way, on things like the vaccine. It's a really frightening development. So all these words that we use to describe this 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 disinformation board um, uh, um people use the word orwellian the whole time that's literally appropriate here that is what we're seeing here and 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 even more orwellian is the fact that they who are pushing this kind of censorship and control of our speech literally say it's in the name of restoring trust in democracy and upholding democracy i mean that is totally orwellian so i think this is something we should we should we can laugh at scary pop-ins, and we should do with our ridiculous videos. But actually, this is very, very serious, and we really need to call it out and fight back. You know, Steve, you said it's, you know, we're not going to be sent off to the gulag for, you know, saying speech that the left doesn't like. You're right today, that's true. But if you think of how fast this has moved over the course of the yeah, last, exactly. you know, six years, I mean, go back to 2016, the, the, the social media platforms were still pretty free. Donald Trump was able to be on Facebook and Twitter and run ads and run his campaign and get data, access voters with direct messages. And since that time, you've seen a concerted effort 
from the left, and I th- it started in, in, you know, the left partnering with big tech, but after the big tech, you know, censorship that's happened and lowering the volume of the voice of conservatives, amplifying liberals, banning some people, now we've seen the government through this disinformation board get in the game. I think we're just at the start of what the left has envisioned for controlling speech, because to your point, the, the regimes use speech to control people, right? That's what the communists did. That's that. That's what. That's what those who want to retain power and contain opposition control your speech to shut you up and keep their power. That's exactly right, and, and I think we have to really think carefully uh, and, and forensically about the mechanisms here, because exactly because if they just tried to come out straight out with it and say in a very direct way as they do in China, by the way, you can't, that's, that's, that's the real comparison here. We'll perhaps get to that a bit later mm-hmm. in the conversation. Um, you, the, you, you cannot criticize the, the Biden administration. You can't, they're not going to do that. They, that's obviously um, going to be completely, you know, found, you, know, you can't do that constitution. There's no way they can, they can actually um, literally in a direct way make a list of the things you're allowed to say or not as the government and then apply that throughout society. But they do it in a much more insidious way, where it's not so obvious. And as you said, they've, they've started to do it for years now through big tech. And that's why that kind of mind meld between big tech, the leaders of big tech, who all, to a person until now with Elon Musk, I, I live right in the heart of it. I, I live right in Silicon Valley. You know, I, as I sometimes joke, some of these big tech leaders are my best friends. You know, I know them personally. <laughs> and they are all, to a person, Democrat, not just Democrats, but far left Democrats. If you look at the political donations of the individuals who work in, in, in these companies and, the, and these platforms, all of them on the left. And so what you've seen is this alliance of bias, if you like, where they've, 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 they've not through a direct order, but they, it's all this groupthink that they all have the same worldview. And that's what they've started to apply. And just the latest example of it, remember Elon Musk has agreed a deal, but he hasn't actually taken over. Just, I think it was a few days ago, the latest example was Twitter banning ads from any organization that, in their opinion, questioned their particular view about climate change. You know, so it just it keeps building the whole time. Now, what's really dangerous about the, this new board that they've set up is if you think about the whole process by which the how is something defined as disinformation you know we've all said we when we've been talking about this over the last few days we we make the point that disinformation now is the term that the left and the establishment use to describe any opinion that they don't agree with or any fact that undermines their narrative but how do we get but let's look one layer beneath that how do they get to that how does something get branded as disinformation right now the way that happens is this kind of group think that emerges where you have journalists on Twitter and activist groups and so on. They kind of swarm around, and within, sometimes within a few days, an opinion coalesces, and then that's the group think. And that is just picked up almost like osmosis by the people who work in the tech companies, the people in this kind of establishment group think. They just pick it up and apply it. Now, with this disinformation governance board, that whole process of branding something as disinformation and then having the levers of oppression come in and kind of clamp down on it, that whole process has been centralized and it's been, and it's been accelerated because now all you need is Nina Yankovic just saying, we think, or issuing some report or 
sending out a press release. Here's this piece of information. We call it disinformation. And suddenly it be picked up and input. That's the mechanism through which they'll do it. They don't need a law. They can just do it because they control through this groupthink the levers of communication. And that's why what Elon Musk is doing is so important and a, and a real chance to fight back. But we've got to understand the mechanisms about how they do this. And that's why this board isn't just some silly thing that we can laugh about. It's very, very insidious. Yeah, it sort of, you know, um, makes more official what I think is already happening. I, I would say, exactly right. do you see one of the things you talked about your your aunt saying, well, I could lose my job. Um, there's a lot of people who intuitively know if they express certain opinions, they will lose their job. I mean, you and I are in a very, yes. John, we're in a very unique business where we're actually paid to give our opinion. But recent polling was really frightening. I saw some recent polling on how many people self-censor. And Steve, I saw this for years as a mom. I had, you know, I have a, a daughter in college, but even when she was in junior high and she's about to graduate, by the way. So think back when she was in junior high and high school, um, she would come to me and say, mom, I need you to help me edit this paper. Please don't get mad. I had to write all this stuff because I knew I want a good grade. So from a very young age, our children are learning to uh, self-censor. And I think the the real success stories in communism are when people just stop. They, they just they don't even say it. They don't even think it. You know, that's what I'm afraid of, Steve. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And you and that's why I mean, you know, that's why actually it's, it's really important that we're waking up to this. And exactly as you say, you see it throughout the school system. And that's why this, this concept of the groupthink is really important because it's, it's, it just emerges and it's applied throughout the whole thing. You, 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 see, you, you hear it in the, you see it in the um, way that, you know, the teachers are trained and the whole ideology that's imposed through the teacher unions. That's why, by the way, school choice is so important, not just to raise the quality of education, but to give parents options so they don't have to put up with this indoctrination that is being pushed and has been for many, many years. It started in the universities, this whole kind of worldview, the academic um, origins of wokeism is something that I've certainly talked about on my show. It's applied now, you know, it started in the universities, applied through teaching institutions. Now it's infected corporate America, big tech, as we've discussed. You know, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And so you have to fight, you have to really understand it. It is really deep. And that's why you know, when people just dismiss it, oh, the conservatives railing against cancel culture again. And, you know, I don't see them, you know, they can still sort of talk about cancel culture on Fox and Twitter and no one takes off. Well, yeah, but it's not just, I mean, th think about the way this permeates society. Exactly as you say, the self-censorship. I mean, that goes back to when you were talking about that, it reminded me of East Germany. They had a particularly kind of vicious version of that with the Stasi and people reporting on each other, snitching on their right. neighbors, you know. Yeah, um, that movie, yeah, Other I'm People's just... Lives, captured exactly. that. You, I don't know, did amazing, you see that movie? Amazing. Oh, it's a frightening and brilliant movie, exactly. And I just wanted to sort of end, end, end this point by just mentioning China, as I touched on earlier. I mean, the place that has perfected this is China. And what, it, what you've got now in China today is, as I wrote in the Daily Mail article, this high-tech totalitarianism where it's, they can monitor your speech through every uh, means of expression that you use, your, your cell phone, your, the social media platforms, whatever, that, that are all Chinese now. They don't let anything else in there. So they, they, can, they monitor everything. And then they have this social credit system, which um, we've, again, discussed, but people need to understand exactly what that is. It literally means 
I mean, not the, the extreme end of it is, lose, is actually in China is going to jail, where they lock up dissidents and put them in jail. But also, you can lose your job. You can, but it's, it's more insidious even than that. Your social credit is a score that the government gives you. And if you offend against their rules about speech or criticizing the regime, whatever it may be, it's things like you literally are not able to buy train tickets or airline tickets. You can't travel. You can't move. You can't move. They, they control your actual life. And they can do it in and, and the lives degrees. of your kids. I met a Chinese exactly. kid who told me if I if I if I step out of line or my dad steps out of line, I won't get to go to university. I won't get. I mean, I was right. really shocked um, at some of the things he said. But I think you're right. We're seeing the beginnings of that here. Sean. Well, Steve, on, on that point, with the, I'm a huge fan of cryptocurrency. However, when you have a government digitize their currency, like what the Chinese are doing with their yuan, the social credit score is not then just, can I get a train ticket? If they control the, the money because right. it's on your wallet and you can't hold it in your hand, all of a sudden you can't go to the grocery store and buy groceries. You can't yeah. do all kinds of things we use dollar bills for, which again, I'm a huge fan of what is an amazing, I think, development in technology of, of a currency or a store of value, but it can be used for incredibly dangerous things in society, which is why I'm also opposed to the U.S. Uh, having the U.S. digital uh, currency. But I want this is what I want to ask you about, Steve, is, is Twitter. And you, you mentioned that as well, because I think I don't I don't believe conservatives understood the advancement that has that has been made by the left in censoring our speech, the things we can and cannot say until Elon Musk said, I'm going to buy Twitter and I'm going to make it a free speech platform again. And we saw how the left lost their mind. They're going crazy that we could have the ability to put our opinions on a platform that's not going to take that opinion off. And it goes to show you that they have made such success that they can't allow one platform that a conservative can say what they think, again, about masks, about vaccines, about where the where the China virus came from, Russia collusion. Hunter Biden's laptop. I mean, you, we can now say those yeah. things and they're so freaked out because they don't want us to have a voice on any platform to express any of our views, frankly, because I think their ideas are so weak. They can't stand up to criticism from anybody. Yes, I mean, but this is the this is why it's so important to understand exactly as you've been saying, you know, where this all comes from. Remember, if you go back to Orwell. So the three slogans of the regime in 1984 was that, you know, freedom is slavery, ignorance, war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. Now, the, what they've added here is a new one, um, which, they've, which, which, is, which is clearly what, uh, what is, you know, this is what they use to justify the censorship you talked about, which is speech is violence. They equate right. a, yes. a, a, a word that you may use against someone as actual violence. That is totally Orwellian. And remember where Orwell, what Orwell was critiquing when he wrote 1984. I've actually been to the island just off the coast of Scotland where he wrote it in this in, in island called Jura. And he wrote that in, you know, just after as the, as the Soviet Union was emerging. It is a critique of the Soviet Union and the, le the leftist system of, of thought control through speech control. That's what's going on here. And it's so, you're so right to say that, that what, what Elon Musk has exposed by just taking this on, front of, and, and the reaction to it shows how important the speech control is to their political control. Because as you say, they are not confident that their ideas would stand up to scrutiny in a fair competition. We'll be back with much more after this. 
Since the 1970s, working-class Americans and U.S. investors who saved wealth in dollars have seen the dollar lose over 80% of its purchasing power. In contrast, investors who diversified their cash into gold saw gold appreciate over 5,000%. For Americans who invested $50,000 in gold when America left the gold standard in the 70s, their gold is worth more than $2.5 million today. While gold carries no guarantees and past performance does not equal future results, investors who do their own research will see that gold's performance over this time span is what gold has consistently done in the face of eroding paper currencies. For over 15 years, St. Joseph Partners has built its business with a singular focus on helping investors diversify their wealth and protect their families in physical gold and silver you hold in your hand. Don't let your hard-earned savings go unhedged. Call St. Joseph Partners or go to our joint website, kitchengold.net, not .com. That is kitchengold.net and protect your wealth. There also is such a lack of self-awareness. So like the people who've been lying to us for the last, especially about COVID for the last couple of years, um, the Hunter Biden laptop story that they said was Russia disinformation, we know now it's real. So they decide that they're going to be the ones in charge of a board on disinformation. Now, uh, Secretary Mayorkas was recently, uh, you know, asked a lot of questions at a hearing. He seemed very cagey and elusive. Give me your assessment of Mayorkas's performance in that hearing um, that well, he, was he was asked about this board. I mean, it shows how, how casual they are about this, that they, I mean, basically he dribbled out the information thinking that this would just be some, another sort of bureaucratic move without actually realizing what a frightening prospect this is for all the people who are on the wrong side of it, because they've got so used to having this argument all their own way. The media constantly slavishly support whatever they say, parrot the party line when it's the Democrats in power. You know, so they, they haven't really had any challenge. So it's a little bit, to me, it reminds me of, you know, when they were kind of shocked at the outrage over the um, Department of Justice memo um, targeting parents who complained about Democrat and leftist ideology in schools are going to you yes. know, be treated like terrorists. It's the same. They, could, they couldn't, couldn't believe that anyone would be upset about it. That's because they are just in this authoritarian mindset. And what's really interesting about it is the way that they, again, it's another Orwell book, actually, that, that it comes to mind, which is Animal Farm, where the, where the people who are kind of behind the revolution, you know, they do the revolution, and then once they're in power, they behave exactly like the people that they, um, the animals, the, 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 that they replaced. And in the same way, you have the Democrats with this kind of self-image of, you know, they started out, you know, this free speech movement. I remember in Berkeley, California, not far from where I am, you know, it's on the left. And they started out as the people that would be, um, you know, the left think of themselves, their self-images of, you know, they stand up for the little guy against, you know, the big establishment. It's exactly the opposite. They're now in power. They are enforcing the power of the ruling class. And that's, that's, and they, and they, they can't really imagine the challenge. That's what's so frightening about it. I thought his performance was shambolic. He gets, oh, no one has anything to worry about. We're not going to censor speech. That's, you know, why would anyone be reassured by any denial he makes about what this board is going to do when you think about, A, how it actually works, as we were discussing earlier, kind of by osmosis. You know, now you have the board issuing some kind of edict about whether or not some particular fact is disinformation, and then suddenly that will be picked up. They don't have to actually do anything. They don't have to sort of literally enforce it themselves. It will be enforced by all their allies in the media and big tech and elsewhere. Um, yeah. So they don't, they, they don't realize how far... And then and the other insurers, oh, we're not going to be monitoring people's communications. He said that in, in, the, in the hearings. And then on the Sunday shows when he was challenged on all this. What, the, what, what confidence can anyone have 
about that, mm-hmm. considering how they've behaved in the past, collecting data on citizens, you know, going right back to the Russiagate thing and Carter Pay. You know, there's so many examples of them completely um, contradicting these assurances they give us. And so I don't, I, that's why I think people should just basically not believe a word that Mallorca says about this. You know, Steve, it's, that we're even having this conversation in America um, is shocking yeah. that we're actually going yeah. through this and making arguments for free speech is like it's it's insanity. But it's amazing. I do. Be- yeah. I do believe that our founders were brilliant in the sense that they, they, if they if people could talk, if people could debate, if people could argue and, and put their ideas forward and, and then vote, that was a peaceful way to resolve conflict. If you don't allow people to have this debate, this engagement, and then, you know, you know, put it to the test of a vote, they turn to violence. You get violence if you don't have speech. Um, And that's what I'm so afraid of now is I look at the the left has become so violent. We see that in the streets with, you know, the George Floyd riots. Even you see it in L.A. uh, after this decision, you know, the leaked decision from the Supreme Court came out. You have people, you know, rioting and throwing rocks at police and um, my concern is that when when the left uses violence and not speech, I think the right is going to be forced to use violence and not speech. And we we cascade into you know chaos as a country. That frightens me. Um, and that's why I th- that's why I think conservatives are so willing to we don't want to use violence. We want to pull this back, you know, to a higher yeah. level of debate and conversation and argument and then votes. So talk to me about that, but also talk to me about what we, because I love, I love your show in the sense that you, you talk about, you again, it's such a smart show, but also you give people a way, a way out. I mean, what do we do to make things better? You're always a hopeful yeah. um, guy. When really, you give us really bad news, you give me hope on the other side. <laughs> well, yeah. I think that the, going back to what I, I completely agree, that the violence is it's just so obvious, you know, and he's a reasonable person would agree. You know, that's not the way to solve anything and is totally unjustified wherever it comes from. And I think that the, but you're right about the pressures. And I think that the, um, going, I think the answer lies in another genius part of the, of the founders and the constitution of the way they thought about things, which is this idea of the decentralization of power, which is in many ways, the, you know, the kind of central idea of the constitution, which is that nobody should have too much power. No one should be over mighty, not the president, not the Congress, not the federal government, the bureaucracy, the st- we should disperse power. We should, it should be distributed as far and wide as we can. That's why you have the Tenth Amendment. That's why we have all these restrictions uh, on, on monopoly and so on. I just think that is a really important idea at the heart of this that we can all, in a practical way, fight for, which is that if you have too much centralized power, then you have the possibility that it's controlled. But if you actually have the decentralization of power, then it doesn't, it matters much less because they can't, if you have competition, and that's why the Elon Musk thing is so important. Now we're going to have competition. We're going to have one of the platforms that's run differently. And that's a great thing. Um, And I think we need to apply that idea throughout the, throughout the governance structure. I think far too much is centralized in terms of political power in Washington. So I think a very practical thing that everyone who's elected to Congress and, and the voters who put them there should look for is like, are you go- are, if we send you to Washington, are you just going to take more and more power and, set, and, and, and centralize it in the hands of the federal government? Or are you actually going to return it to the states and to individual communities and people and so on. I think that is a real thing that you can argue for. You can make reforms along those lines. School choice, of course, is a great specific example of that. And I think we need to apply that in the economy. We don't want these big corporations to have too much power and control. We need competition, and we need to decentralize power. I think that is something that actually even unites left and right. You even have 
people like Elizabeth Warren actually talking uh, very intelligently and, and in a way that I completely agree with about concentration of power in the economy. The problem is they never take it, um, they, never, they never do it, they do it in an incomplete manner. So they're fine with making the case that the economy is too centralized and big business has gotten too big. But then, they, then what about big government? They never take it that far. They don't apply it consistently. Actually, big government, big business, big tech, big media, it's all too big and it's all too centralized and we need to break it all up. I think that's something that a lot of people could get behind. And yeah, Steve, I can add to that list. Big Pharma. Go ahead, Sean. But I was going to tell you, that, this is part of the America First agenda, though. Donald Trump, yeah, contrary yeah. to what the left says about him, was sending power back to the states. He wasn't yes. trying to centralize under COVID power under the federal government. He was saying, yeah. listen, each state should make decisions for themselves based on the, the, the number of COVID cases they have, the number of hospitalizations, the number of deaths. You guys decide for yourselves. And he did this in all kinds of realms as the president. He, I think, in his gut, understood that the decentralization of government was the best for the American people and it was putting America first if all that power wasn't in Washington. Yeah, if Joe Biden had been in charge, I just think about we would never have known about the Florida and South Dakota experiments in terms of how they handled COVID. Um, And I think that's what they wanted, by the way. They wanted this federal response. I think they were angry at, at Donald Trump for not, you know, for not you know, making a big federal mandate and he instead gave it to the states. And and that exposed the fallacy of so many of these policies. Um, so, Steve, I'm going to ask you one last question. I wanted I wanted to end hopefully because you had such a great hopeful note. Um, but and so maybe you can find the hope in this. <laughs> one of the things that concerns me the most is, you know, you, Sean and I, we're all about the same age. And so I think we have a real contrast in what we our understanding of what freedom looks like in America. And so we looked at the last two years and we're like, what the hell is going on? Like we're, they're, they're taking away our freedoms. This has never happened. And I keep telling to my kids and when I speak at universities, I'm always saying this isn't normal. The government has never, ever in my lifetime or in our history, shut down governments, shut down schools, shut down churches. I keep saying this isn't normal, but or masked people or, you know, all these these crazy things that happened over the last two years. But I'm so scared that this has all been really normalized. And when my daughter, you know, tells me about professors at her university, the professors are not afraid of administration um, taking them down. They're afraid of these little, you know, enforcer students who will yeah. turn them in and this sort of surveillance niche culture that has sort of been normalized among young people. How do we how do we feel optimistic about the future when so many of these young people who, who in polling say they're perfectly willing to censor and see no and see see speech as hate and, and are concerned about, you know, that sort of thing. How do how do we feel good about the future when so many of these kids are having these kinds of thoughts normalized through the education system, big tech and the culture? I think that the real answer to that is actually found in history, which is that typically you get this, this site, particularly in America, which is you know, still the home of freedom, and it's possible for this to happen, is typically you have uh, these things go in cycles and waves, and you have a revolution, and you have the counter-revolution, and that's typically mm. how it goes. And I think that actually you are seeing signs that the kind of wokeism the, the, that's driven this sort of revolution that we've seen 
you know, in, in that sort of, you know, like certainly millennials and a bit younger. That's actually, there's a lot of counter, counter-revolution going on in the culture. I was just you reading a very... the fever's breaking. Is that what you're saying? I think so. And, and actually, the young, even the younger, you know, like in, in places, I was just reading, for example, a fascinating piece about what they call the vibe shift um, in Coachella and also down, and, and it picked up on a piece that was written about the culture in, in certain parts of New York. And they've got the coolest bits of New York in downtown Manhattan, so on, and Brooklyn. There's, a, there's suddenly the ideas that actually in many ways are the kind of intellectual kind of foundations of some of the, as you're saying, the America First agenda is certainly the kind of challenge to the, the corporate um, big government establishment. That's actually cool now. And, and in certain parts of, 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 you know, what you would think of as the absolute bastions of the kind of wokeism and the group thing. So I think that there's always hope because that it, you, you can't be too dominant. That's the sort of central idea of America. You can't be too dominant for too long. That never happens. There's always a counter-revolution, mm-hmm. and I think that happens in politics. And, I, and I, there are signs that it's happening in the culture with younger people as well. And so I think we have to obviously encourage that um, and look for signs of it. And I think they are, they are, they are there. Um, so I would always be hopeful, but I would always, be, more broadly, always be hopeful for anything on any issue because it's America. And in the end, yeah. we always get it right. And I think that, you know, although that there's, you know, kind of things that get in the way and they're very frustrating, you know, like you're never going to be able to sort of keep this country down. That's why I so love being here. I'm so proud now to be an American. Oh, we love that you're an American and you're right. It is countercultural to be. Um, for free speech to be for America first and so many of these ideas. So hopefully, as your show says, this is the next revolution. Um, This is the next revolution. You're right. America always does um, regenerate and and renew herself. And again, I think there's a real role for parents as well to um, counter so many of the messages they are hearing. But I do believe, Steve, and I will be hopeful because of this. I do believe that our hearts were made for freedom and that that's people's natural inclination and that they will seek it. And when they when they feel oppressed um, to the point to the point that so many, I think, Americans are feeling right now that they are going to revolt in a positive way um, towards freedom. I can't thank you enough for taking time to be with us today. Um, we're big fans of yours. So it was a real treat to have you on no, the show. It's a real pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. Always so smart, Steve. Thank you so much. And thanks for the insight. I was, it's, it's a great podcast and great conversation. Maybe we'll have a real right. cup of coffee, not a virtual one with you one of these days. Maybe, maybe when you're in, right. in New in New York and you don't make us go out to uh, San Francisco. <laughs> but here the coffee's good. Right. The politics are bad. Coffee's good. Yeah. Politics bad. All right. Thanks so much for joining thanks, us, Steve. Steve. Appreciate it. We'll be right back with much more after this. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. 
And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. All right, that was a great conversation with Steve. He's, he's, he's smart. He gets it. Um, I think his show is fantastic because I think he's always got his pulse on it. I think it's interesting, you know, his, his connect. I, I feel a kindred spirit. I also, uh, you know, grew up, I didn't grow up in, in going to Hungary in the summers, but I grew up going um, to Spain with my cousins in the summer. And even though it wasn't communist Hungary, there was a level of, um, I would say, lack of upward mobility that I could even as a child sense when I was in Spain. It's just a different system. It's a lot more classist. It's a lot more um, entrenched in its ways. And um, they were really excited to have an American cousin. I grew up with this real appreciation for America because I lived abroad and was able to see it in a different way. And I think that's, you know, people who have that connection. My mother had a connection with with experiencing communism. So anytime you have those kinds of of memories and experiences, you really appreciate America. You know, I, I, I when he mentioned George Orwell and he went to the island in which George Orwell wrote in 1984. And everyone should reread that book, right? Yeah, yeah I have to reread it. it. It's been 30 years. I read years it about a year I, ago. In the middle of COVID, I read it. <laughs> it was eerie. Which, which was really wild was that a lot of Democrats under Donald Trump read it as if this was Donald Trump 1984. It's oh, like wow. he, he has, they have no introspection. But what, he was talking, as, as, as Steve that. pointed out, about Russia. Right. As, as this is the, the communism was burgeoning there. And, you know, the, the Democrats, we used to call them liberals and liber- liberalism is really in the embodiment of free speech and expression. And, you know, think of the 1960, you know, Birkenstock wearing hippies. Right. But it's interesting how the communists, the communist movement has taken over the Democrat Party and they're, they, they've embodied not liberalism, but they've embraced this, these communist theories that have been used, again, in the old Soviet Union, they're being used in China to censor and silence people, all in the name of power, in the consolidation of power. And whether it's in government or it, with their partners in big tech, that's what's happening here. And the only way that I think we're able to combat it is, again, if you get you know guys like Elon Musk, who, again, is our age as well, who goes, listen, this is this isn't right. We weren't raised in this current environment where they're suppressing speech. This feels and, foreign. You do, it yelling. feels Twilight Zone, yeah, right? We're not, we weren't raised at, at a time when we were yelling at speakers on college campuses. No way. Um, and it's also about us when, when someone is canceled, right? When someone's being attacked by the left to actually stand up and defend them, to help push back. There's so many more of us that believe in these basic common freedoms than those who don't. When we when we stand up and push back against the mob, we actually understand the mob is actually really small. There's way more of us, but they've they've somehow got into our heads that we can't. The the majority can't stand but up that's and when push they, when back. They, when they when you talk about them turning up liberal voices on social media platforms right. and turning down conservatives, that's also a perception game, right? It's true. To make you feel like you're alone. Like all the conservative comments supporting what you said are erased. I've had that happen on my Twitter account yeah. and all the um, liberal comments are left. It, uh, it's interesting to me yesterday, um, Joe Biden was on, he was talking about his relationship with Xi Jinping and how Xi Jinping in China, the communist leader said, you know, it's just too messy what you guys do. We're more efficient because I'm in control and blah, blah, blah. And he, Joe Biden was relaying this conversation. But if you talk to these titans of big tech um, and even people like Bill Gates in some of his interviews, they have a really deep admiration 
for the communist Chinese system. They like it because they think they're really smart and they have really great ideas. And if only us stupid plebes would listen to them and we didn't have to go through this messy democratic process, they could actually make these things happen and make our lives so much better and efficient. And, and, and we'd all be eating fake meat and having man boobs right. like, you know, <laughs> Bill Gates. I mean, I don't understand who these people think they're, but they think they're gods and they would love the power of the CCP and they want it for themselves. And, and, and Steve Hilton did such a great job of bringing it back to the CCP, because it's so easy to go back to the Soviet unions and those sort of dark gray gulag stuff. It's not that. The CCP is about using capitalism and corporations in the service of, of the Communist Party. And in so many ways, that is the model that we see big tech and even liberals um, and the Democrat Party. This is what they want. They want this centralized power. They hate the messiness and the unpredictability of, of democracy. Over the course of the last couple of hundred years, there's been evolution of forms of communication, right? We had the pamphlets that people would send out over, you know, during the revolution and, yeah. you know, the, 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 the development of the printing press and then the radio and TV. Well, it was expensive to have a TV station. It's expensive to have a radio station. It's expensive to have a printing press. Cheap to do a podcast, I hear. <laughs> this is the first time that we've decentralized yes. the form in which we can communicate. And so, so that that social media has taken some, if not all, the power away from the elites who used to control the narrative on everything because we didn't have a newspaper. I didn't I didn't own the New York Times. I can't I, I can't get something in the New York Times or the Washington Post or NBC News. But now with Twitter, I actually can put out whatever I think and I can attack Joe Biden, uh, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren from my kitchen or from my office or from my bed in my bedroom and send tweets out saying what I think about them for others to read. And the left, the power centers that controlled speech and information flows, they hate that because you have as much power as they have. And they want that power back. And they were getting it back when big tech was willing to censor our voices on those platforms and amplify the voices that were supporting the thoughts of the regime media. Well, uh, and they've done it successfully. But now coming back to Elon Musk and Twitter, by allowing our voices to be heard and the debate to be had, again, we're going back to this decentralized theme that with a computer or a phone, I'm in the conversation. That's my printing press. That's my TV station. That's my radio station. I'm in the conversation just like Joe Biden is, just like yeah. Donald Trump was. Um, it's no different. And again, I think that is so amazing at this time and this amazing technology that we have to I share our it. thoughts. Again, like, like I said, with cryptocurrency, I yeah. love it. And it's a beautiful technology, but just like nuclear power, it can be used for you know cheap, efficient, non-carbon producing energy or it can be used for bombs, right? There's, there's one yeah. side or the other. Crypto is the same thing, but also social media is the same in that we can use it for good or we can use it for bad. And right now we're seeing the left is trying to use it for bad to censor and control our speech. Yeah, unfortunately, I think we're in the hands of Elon Musk right now. I don't know um, what, what, what's happened to our country, um, but that's where we're at. We're in the hands of Elon Musk and we're waiting for the cavalry to arrive in the midterms, right? Well, the cavalry is arriving in the midterms. Um, and again, it's going to be strong. I'm going to, can I just make one other point on the midterms? Sure. So just, so everyone, I don't know if you guys watch or listen to the generic balloting that happens. It's if you're not, they don't put a name on the ballot, but do you want a Republican or a Democrat? In a and, poll. And they poll people and ask them. Um, when I won in 2010, 
Republicans were down by two points in the generic polling, and we had a historic win like of a Tea Party people, movement. Ninety people, ninety, right? Is yeah, that we won, right? We won eighty-six. Eight, there are eighty-six new members, and we won, you know, sixty-three seats, sixty-four seats in in that year. And we were down in the generic polling by two points. And the reason is just, but the turn turnout models, you know, Republicans turn out at a higher level than Democrats. And so though the, we use the same numbering, it's not really reflective of who's going to win and who isn't. Right. So you, so let, let me simplify this. So thank you. You can be interpret down. what I'm saying. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to interpret this for a non-politician. So you can be down in the generic poll as a Republican and still win. Broad-based throughout the country. Broad-based right? throughout, the, yeah, throughout the country. But, but the opposite is not true. So now when Republicans are up by five points, oh my gosh, seven points in some of the polling, this means it is going to be a bloodbath blowout for even Republicans. bigger than the, even bigger than 2010 when so you were when when this huge revolution happened, the, the Tea Party. That's a really good question. So we Republicans have more seats right now than Republicans had in 2010. So there's less seats to win back. OK, so the number might not be as high. Um, now there was a conversation. If you talk, but the to, impact could be higher if you're taking seats that were considered safe for Democrats. Right. Maybe some Texas seats that have been Democrat for a long time have been now coming Republican because of the border crisis. Right. Like, like in the southern part of Texas, where all we're Demo- these Star County, all these yes. Democrat counties, Republicans are winning the the, when, the sheriff races and the and the mayor races. So yeah. So I think. So I think the Republican Party will say we could win 30 seats. That's an amazing night. I'm actually going to say if this trend holds, Republicans will win anywhere from 40 to 45 seats. It is going to be a massive year. And the power that that gives Republicans is they can't pass their agenda if they got the House and the Senate because Joe Biden is is never going to sign it. Right. But it puts a breaks, a break on the agenda. But it also gives Republicans gavels. They control what happens in committee hearings, which means they can do oversight. They can expose what the administration is doing. They can call them to Capitol Hill. They can question them. They can ask them hard questions and drive into the truth of what the administration is doing. And again, I would love to see that on what's happened on the border. I'd love to see Mayorkas pressured more about how he could tell us that the border is secure. That's a good. That's, that's, I'd like to see why the FBI isn't doing forensic. Uh, you know, what kind of forensic audit. uh, audits? financial audits are they doing on Joe Biden to see if if he's you know what what are the financial connections last question for you Sean you say if everything holds you see a bloodbath you see a blowout in the midterms you see this something bigger than what we saw essentially in the 2010 um, takeover um, of Congress by the Republicans do you think that the situation of Roe versus Wade if Roe Uh, versus Wade is overturned and this issue goes back to the states. Is that going to rile up the base of the Democrat Party enough to stop what you see as this, you know, um, massive win for Republicans in the midterm? And I I hopefully want to talk about this in our next podcast. We are going to we are going to talk about it. We're going to talk about that whole issue in a in much greater but, form, but just talk to me about the I, politics, the politics. And so on this, the midterms, I, this is it, this gets complicated. Right. But what I think is you're going to have a small wing of the Democrat Party that is really motivated because of this abortion ruling coming out of the Supreme Court. Right. They're going to vote. They're going to give their money. They're going to be there. But most Americans, the middle of America, the huge voting block of America, this is going to be old news. This is going to be six month old news by the time they go to the polls in November. 
And every single day, they're going to go to the grocery store and see prices rising. They're going to fill up their cars and see what's happening, You know how much they're paying at the pump. They're going to see the southern border and the disaster that that is. They're still going to see crime raging throughout America. All those issues that actually impact their everyday lives, they're going to they're going to see it. And so I believe I believe that this is going to have a limited impact. And I would just I would ask you. So then, is that a bad strategy, then, Sean? Because would they have, the idea was we're going to leak. Let's talk about just a leak. We're going to leak this to you know stir up trouble because nobody believes that you could actually get these these. I don't believe that leaking it. I think leaking it would strengthen the spine of these justices to not look like they they cave to it. But wouldn't they have been better just waiting till this decision came out in July, maybe even August? And that's closer. So this, so this would have come out in by the end of June. This no, they decision. said it could have come out in, into July. So I'm, I'm going to say postponing the decision. No, wouldn't because, that be better for Democrats? Because this was not a strategy. A, this was not about winning in November. This was about trying to change the vote. You, you of do justice. think it was? That's that. why that. That's why it was okay. late, Of course. All right. Um, but just think about this: Hispanic voters who are already only have an approval rating for Joe Biden of 26%. I mean, it is the lowest demographic. It's, it's incredible. This is the biggest story that no one's talking about. And I would argue, and you'd probably agree, many of them are Catholics. Many of them are Christians. Or, or evangelical Christians are actually the fastest growing They uh, don't support abortion. It's another reminder yeah. that Democrats don't support their values, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the point, and I, and I was on yesterday on Outnumbered, and I kind of botched what I was saying on this point, but I'm going to make it again here. Um, Chuck Schumer is going to bring a bill up in the Senate. He promised that. And because of the push of of Emily's list, a pro-abortion group, because of a push of Planned Parenthood, it is going to be a bill that guarantees abortion until birth. Right. And Democrats who are in hard seats like in Georgia, um, uh, in Arizona, Nevada, hard races, this issue doesn't bode well if you're voting for a bill that guarantees abortion until birth. This is really bad politics. Now, there are some Republicans that may want to vote for an abortion bill. They support abortion. You and I do not. I do know I'm, I'm life at conception. Right. But they might want to vote for that. And but but they would do want to vote for abortion up to birth. Right. So it's easy yeah, for the Republicans to say, I'm not going to I do. A Republican senator a, who's a in a Republican hard race, senator can say, I'm pro, I'm, I'm for a woman's right, but not all the way not, to the ninth month. Exactly. So I couldn't vote for that bill. Exactly. So. Democrats are put in a box by this bill. Republicans get an escape valve. Um, yeah, the, the, the more moderate the ones, more moderate get, ones. A, get yes. an escape valve. And, and so yeah, this, this plays really well, I think, for Republicans. And it's a, this is a hard slug for, slog for Democrats to make this work politically. Um, and so all in all, I think it's, it's probably not going to have much impact on the election, it's not going to move it one way or the other. It's going to be like we've seen in the polls. It's going to be inflation. It's going to be crime. It's going to be the border. It's going to be those issues that education are, edu- is huge. I've been interviewing moms yes. um, on on Fox and Friends every week. We have a panel of moms every weekend, and uh, it's amazing how education. If people thought that those town halls are over, if the Democrats thought, oh, the town halls are over, the domestic terrorists and all the stuff that it's not over. These moms have not forgotten. They are still mad and they are still determined to fight. So that will be another issue. Great analysis, Sean. Thank you. One last point. Sure. So, so in the states that might say we're gonna we're gonna ban abortion, might be South Dakota, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana. Texas, Louisiana. I mean, these are Republican states. The Democrats are going to win anyway. Right. Right. So the Democrats might be angry about it in those states, but 
um, they can't. They're not going to win. A, they're not going to win elections on that but issue. But you could see what about a state but like Wisconsin? Sean? But I'm going to come. I'll come to Wisconsin because that's a good question. But on the flip side, if you live in California or in New York, sure, already, yeah, you've already solidified your rights to abortion. If the if the court goes through with this case, they're not banning abortion. They're just sending it back to the states to let the states decide. Yeah. The voters decide what works. So in Wisconsin. Republicans, where there's a Republican legislature, a House and a, an Assembly and, and a there's Senate. A Democrat governor. Democrat governor. Very liberal. So the Assembly and the Senate will pass a bill that will ban abortion, I believe, and the governor won't sign it. So there'll be an impasse, right? So the debate, the debate in Wisconsin will rage on. Now, is it going to be an issue for the governor's race? You know, because now if there's a Republican governor that'll sign that Republican bill from the legislature. Um, well, you can ban abortion right. in Wisconsin. Because governors running for office in Wisconsin or any state, they love to be able to say, well, this is not uh, this is this not an issue for me to buck. deal with. It could pass the buck because it was a constitutional right. And now suddenly it's not. It will become a state issue and people will get to vote on that, which is great. I think for pro-lifers, um, you and I have been in, in the in the trenches with the pro-life movement for for decades. Um, this is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, a lot of us have donated time. A lot of people have donated money to this cause. And this is the time to make the moral case, um, not just um, you know against abortion for innocent babies, but really make the case for women um, and what kind of damage abortion does to women who choose it. And um, there's and, a lot no, of you did there's not a say lot birth, on you that. didn't say birthing people. I did not say birth. And listen, that's so interesting. This is what we're going to talk about next week. We'll give you just a little preview too because. So many, um, you know, there was a state senator actually in Wisconsin who put out a tweet yesterday who said, you know, talked about abortion rights for birthing people. Well, look, if you can't say women, you you don't you cannot be claimed to have the mantle of women's rights. You you the liberal, the liberals, the Democrats, um, the radical left, they no longer represent women. Everything that they have done, I believe, Sean, in disempowering um, and and really um not elevating and celebrating the fertility of women and what women, this unique role that women have saying that we're just the same as any other gender. Um, now it looks like it's the only people defending women in sports are Republicans. Um, the only women who care about post-abortive women and tell the truth about what happens are conservative pro-lifers. Um, the only ones who tell the truth about what happens in abortion are, you know, conservative pro-lifers. And so I believe that the entire women's movement um, is irrelevant well, in this debate. Well, if you can't, if you say birthing people, what what the heck? Well, it's interesting because a lot of Democrats now are like, "Oh no, no, this is a women's issue. Why do you hate yeah. women?" Yeah, <laughs> they've, they've, they've stepped back from birthing people because that obviously now includes some of them. Men, have forgot, right? didn't get the memo though, right? Sean. But I'm like, "Oh no, this is the, the, this is a women's issue." Well, I thought they were just spending the last couple of years telling me that this is a personal person's issue, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, again, they can't get the, 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 the memo right. And I just, I think it's important to look at why is this happening right now? And there's only one reason. It is the most unlikely individual who ever came into politics, I, and obviously in my lifetime, but I think in recent memory, is a guy who has not led a life probably fighting for the pro-life movement. But he did the right thing. And that's Donald a, Trump. A guy, we're here Donald because of Donald Trump, Trump put on three pro-life justices. He committed. I'm going to put on three pro-life justices. Yeah, he didn't mess around. He didn't say. Remember, people used to criticize Republicans, say you you shouldn't have a litmus test. And then Republicans go, oh, I'm not putting a litmus test. And Donald, Donald Trump Trump's was like, I have, I have a litmus test. Are you pro-life? Are you a constitutionalist? OK, great. You're in. You're in. And, and by the way, if you hear the dogs, 
It's because this is real life. I, the kids are pulling up. So the dog is going so that, off. It's probably a good time for us to wrap up. I think that's probably a good idea. So All anyway, right. that's good. We're, 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 yeah, we're, this is just a little ranging. preview because as you can tell, we really like this issue of abortion because it's it's actually the most important issue we have, I believe, facing America because it's an issue of life and death. And we'll it talk is. about that a little further um, next, next week. week. Next week, right. right now, we got to get back some kids. All right. Listen, everyone, thanks for joining us. Uh, enjoyable conversation. Steve Hilton, so smart, so insightful. And I love that he uh, dug us a little bit deeper into the issue of yep. the censorship. If you haven't seen his show, The Next Revolution, it's on Sunday nights on Fox News. And it is a fantastic show. Always very good every week. Um, a must see. And of course, you can catch Sean and I on the Fox News Network. I'll be hosting Friday um, of this week on Fox and Friends. On Fox and Friends. I'll be filling in for Ainsley and I'll be on all weekend long. Four hours. Four, four hours each day. I know. <laughs> Everyone's very sick of me. Um, all right. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.